This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. We are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, still in 1 Corinthians, but this time chapter 12. Uh, and if you know about 1 Corinthians, you know that this is where uh, we talk about spiritual gifts. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about why spiritual gifts are for our unity. That gifts are diversely given, but they're actually meant to unify us. And ironically, what I think of when I think of kind of our Christian circles, uh, spiritual gifts are often something that divide us <laughs> uh, most strongly. Uh, maybe even as much as the Lord's Supper as we saw last week. And so there's something about uh, spiritual gifts that we tend to miss what Paul is talking about. Now, I wonder if you've heard this phrase or seen it around, um, e pluribus unum. My Latin is terrible. Um, I actually have never taken it, so that, this, I'm just reading the words off the page there. Uh, e pluribus unum. Uh, it's on our coins, if you've probably see, seen it, uh, and it means uh, out of the many, one. And there's this idea that was proposed by John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, and Thomas, Thomas Jefferson for this to be uh, kind of the motto of the United States. And this idea was, this, this beautiful idea, was that in the American story, we're better united than we are divided. That there are central truths that hold us together and that we can kind of prioritize ideas that we're going to uh, rally around these ideas and that the rest, we're actually going to fight to protect the, the fact that we can have disagreements on these kind of lesser items. Now, like most ideals, et pluribus unum is exceptionally difficult to live out. And I don't think you have to look much further than, what, 70 or 80 years uh, after Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson, where there would be a war fought over what this kind of unity and diversity would mean. What it would mean for there to be this separation of powers and yet unity around central ideas. What sort of diversity is tolerated? Should all, uh, like, what, what does it mean to be American? Uh, is it that we all believe the same things? That we all act the same way? Uh, is it that we all disagree in the same way? And maybe that's what makes us Americans. We're fierce at disagreeing, but there's a way to do it. A pluribus unum, out of many, one, might be something that we strive for but rarely ever see. It's an ideal that maybe borders on idealistic. Now, I think we would agree that even if it's idealistic, it's an idea worth striving for. A very similar idea, unity and diversity, runs throughout Scripture. Of course, today's sermon will give us some principles about how exploring this unity and diversity may impact our national allegiances, whatever those may be, and our, our various responsibilities. Uh, but primarily, Paul is speaking about um, a, a deeper sort of allegiance, our allegiance to King Jesus and his rule, his nation, uh, and his everlasting kingdom. And spiritual gifts have a particular part to play in that, a particular part to play that actually brings unity. It doesn't bring disunity. Even though there are many spiritual gifts, there is unity in diversity. So in exploring this question, we're going to be using four questions to guide us. Uh, and these may sound familiar if you know, have done any sort of school. Um, who, what, who, why, and how. So what are the spiritual gifts? 
who gets the spiritual gifts, why do we get the spiritual gifts, and how does this create, how do the spiritual gifts create unity and diversity? So these are going to be our guiding questions for today, our four points, um, as it were. And before we get much further, I'd invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word, which comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the first 11 verses. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To others, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This has been the reading of God's word. May he bless it for you and for me. Please be seated. So we're exploring this idea of unity and diversity and why it is that spiritual gifts uh, actually creates unity among us. Now, uh, before we go uh, too much further, I do want to acknowledge we've got a lot of questions about spiritual gifts. And I am sure I'm not going to answer them all. And in fact, my goal here is really to look at how Paul describes spiritual gifts and hopefully use that information that we might apply to our own questions. Because I'm sure it's about as many people are in this room as about how many different questions we would have about spiritual gifts, myself included. And so I think what Paul is doing here is laying down this framework and we're going to be exploring that. This being said, uh, if I leave you with questions, uh, I, I would love to talk with you more about it. Um, I would love to sit down over coffee and explore, uh, and I'm going to be honest that I may not have uh, the answers that you're looking for. I may not be able to answer your question, but I would love to uh, investigate it with you. So with that, first, let's look at what the gifts are. If we start off this passage and you just kind of fast forward to verse 8, you're going to see this list that Paul gives. Verses 8 and following, utterance of wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, working of miracles, prophecy, ability to distinguish spirits, various kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. i got to be honest, this is a pretty good list. But it's not exhaustive. In fact, if you were to go to Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, other letters written by Paul, you would find different sets of gifts there. You see, I think Paul isn't interested in giving us an exhaustive list of these are the spiritual gifts that you must attain to. He's giving a representative list to the Corinthians that says these are gifts that you already recognize among your people. And there's a grave injustice that's being done among you. Some of you are using your gifts to promote self and cause divisions. You know, we've been talking about these divisions that have been in Corinth. Some of you are using your, your, your spiritual gifts uh, not to build one another up, but to just heighten yourself, to gain an advantage. These first few verses, now concerning the spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. 
You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray. The idea here that Paul is entertaining is that um, in, in a lot of the pagan religions in and around Corinth at the time, it appears that they would call on in, in a spiritual sort of manner, maybe even ecstatic, uh, but they would call on these gods to curse people. They wanted some advantage they were hoping that their spirituality might elicit some advantage from God that they could leverage against another person that was causing them harm. And Paul's like, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. What Paul is trying to to lay out is that there are manifold. Remember how many times he said varieties? At least three times in four through six. Varieties of gifts, varieties of services. Here, let me list a few. These might be ones that you recognize, and these might be the ones that you are prone most to abuse. The ones that you are prone most to say that you have something special In Paul's entire book, letter up until this point, the entire book of 1 Corinthians has been to say, don't utilize your gifts to cause decisions. Cause divisions, sorry. Now, something that's important for us to understand when reading this list here is just how many times Paul said that word varieties. <laughs> how many gifts there might be because for Paul, I think that the list isn't meant to be exhaustive. And I think that if he were to say that there was an exhaustive list, you couldn't do it because the spiritual gifts fundamentally represent something about God. Again, if you look at four through six, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of, of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers. What Paul's trying to get at is these gifts actually reflect something about who God is. And I don't know if you know about who God is, but God is infinite. There are a manifold number of spiritual gifts. What this means for us as we think about our own spiritual gifts and we think about us reflecting on this list is not necessarily that we should be trying to attain to whatever is listed here or in Romans 12 or in Ephesians 4. But that we should be trying to see the ways that God reflects inside of us. What has the Holy Spirit given me that I might serve others? One person describes spiritual gifts like playing in God's orchestra. You need all the instruments in the orchestra to make that piece of music work. And if God, as the divine composer, has so ordained that there are spiritual gifts that may even only have a small part, he's, he's not willing to compromise that that small part be cut off or that he could just forget about it. He's saying, whatever gifts that I have made to reflect inside of you, I have made for a purpose, and I want to hear it. It is absolutely necessary that it's in my song. These gifts that reflect something about God, the reason that we need the Holy Spirit uh, to, to enliven them is to make sure that we have the fullest and most true expression of them. 
that we no longer use them for our own ends. Okay, so first, this isn't intended to be an exhaustive list, but simply some gifts that the Corinthians would have recognized. So this might be oversimplifying, but if we're wondering that what gifts do I have, because I think that's a question we all have, uh, what, what spiritual gifts do I have? I, these are the two questions I'd like you to ask yourself. What do you love to do? And what are you good at? What do you love to do? And what are you good at? Again, this might seem oversimplistic because we want something miraculous. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. But really what God wants is a reflection of true humanity through you. And whatever gifts that he's given, he wants you to live those out so that they're oriented correctly. And we're going to talk about the why we have spiritual gifts again a little bit later. And hopefully this will all come together and make more sense as we go on. Our burden then is to figure out how to use these gifts, loves, and talents, not for playing our own tune or singing our own song, but to play in God's divine concerto. Are you good at cultivating friendships? What does it look like for you to encourage your friends instead of gossip? Are you knowledgeable? And can you help people sift through what is true and what isn't? Are you able to see patterns in people's lives with discernment and carefully encourage them in a way that lives underneath the reign of Jesus? Are you able to use your art to bring people to peace, encouragement, to challenge their views? What about gifts of administration and leadership to help lead the way and clear a path that others might see Jesus more clearly and not be obstructed by things that don't need to be there? These kinds of gifts become spiritual when the Holy Spirit enlivens them, correctly orients them. And that brings us to our second point about wanting... Um, a second point under this, uh, what are the spiritual gifts? Sorry, it's a little confusing. but We desperately want, when we think of spiritual gifts, to be superhuman. We want to be able to do something superhuman. And you know what? The Jews of Jesus' day were not much different. They wanted miraculous signs and wonders. And they asked Jesus to do them. And his response was, I've already done them. And yet you don't believe me. The point of all of the signs and wonders throughout all of Scripture, all of these things that we see as superhuman, is to point to Jesus. It's why the New Testament can say, did you believe Moses? If you can't believe what is written in the Word... Why are you asking for miraculous signs and wonders when this describes the miraculous signs and wonders already done? We can even understand this in Paul's list. Knowledge and wisdom aren't fundamentally unhuman things. They may not be easily distinguishable categories in our English language between knowledge and wisdom. We're kind of like, isn't that kind of the same thing? Wisdom may have a little bit more of an application piece, whereas knowledge might be just knowing facts. But being knowledgeable or wise doesn't make you superhuman. And in fact, usually being knowledgeable or wise requires some sort of dedication to it. It's not like it just spontaneously falls upon you. You may have the gift to go pursue that knowledge and that wisdom. 
but it's not so much to make you superhuman as fully human. Maybe the easiest way to say it is this. We shouldn't first look for the miraculous when we're looking at spiritual gifts, but for the fullest and most true expression of our ordinary selves. Because this might be miraculous enough. So what are the spiritual gifts? They're manifold and extensive. They're more than just this list. They extend to every part of us that reflects an aspect of our God. So you might say that they're infinite, that God has given us the Holy Spirit in order to aliven and correctly orient those, which we're going to talk about in a second. And they're not intended to make us superhuman, but more fully human, that we may more appropriately point towards Jesus. So now we know what the gifts are, or at least have some foundation for evaluating things that might be included as spiritual gifts. Now the next question might be asked, who gets these gifts? Does everyone, or do you have to be exceptionally spiritual to get these gifts? Now, the short answer, as you can see in here, is that every single Christian is gifted by God with a spiritual gift. Look at verse 7. To each he gives, verse 11, a portion to each individually. This might be another reason that we don't believe that all of the spiritual gifts need be miraculous. Because if that were the true, we'd all need to be able to work miracles in order to know that we have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a sign that we are saved. Spiritual gifts are much more broad than that. But aren't some gifts, aren't some people higher priority for God? Like those who can work miracles must be really special in God's eyes, right? They've been given these unbelievable gifts. Well, if you could, I'd like to refer back to that orchestra example. If God is the conductor of an orchestra, and he was a good one, wouldn't he notice if an instrument was missing? Of course, in his divine structure of the world, he may understand that some have much larger parts to play, some have much um, uh, more delicate pieces uh, to, to interact with, and yet we know that God is not a conductor that could say, that's fine if that drops off. It wasn't really that great to begin with. God's response is no. I made that instrument. It reflects a piece of me. I need it there. To drastically change the analogy some, you know that Jesus leaves the 99 to pursue the one, right? There's no gift that's too small. Now, I will say at the end of chapter 12, if you were to keep reading, Paul will say, uh, we didn't, it's not in your bulletin, so this is the very end of the chapter, uh, Paul will say that it is good to seek the higher gifts. And there's something really fundamentally important about this. Uh, it's that Paul can say, not only do you have the gifts that you can immediately recognize now, but that you can actually seek other gifts. And that's good and right for you to do so. It's good and right for you to desire to cultivate a spiritual gift other than the one you immediately see in your life. You can work towards the gift of hospitality even if you really kind of hate having people in your home. Just small steps, you know? It might start outside the home, but you can do it. If you look at that and you're like, man, I'd really like to do that. One that I hear often 
and most of this has to be working with children's ministry in the past, is that when I would try to recruit people to work in children's ministry, they're just like, I don't have the gift to work with children. And I'm like, none of us do. It's God's grace alone. And in some sense, and as a church family, we understand that to operate a nursery off of volunteers in a children's church, we need all of the church to come together and say, I'm willing to learn the spiritual gift, to be humbled at something that I may not be great at because I think it's important and I think God cherishes it. Although we know for sure, without a doubt, because he says it here, that you're at least gifted with one spiritual gift, we know that God delights for you to go pursue and cultivate more. There's one other point I can make off of this. You know, non-Christians appear to have a lot of gifts too. Remember how I said that your gifts are probably what you're good at and what you love. Non-Christians have things that they're good at and that they love. And when someone transitions their ultimate allegiance from themselves or whatever else it might be, uh, to Jesus Christ, we often find that those loves don't always change. Those things that they're gifted at can actually be salvaged. You know, Christian theologians sometimes have described uh, humanity as a whole, right? Adam and Eve were created with all this glory and power to go reflect God into creation with all of their gifts and talents and that they would be fruitful and multiply and it would spread and there would be these little representations of God everywhere. And then in the fall, what happened was you'd have like this great Roman city that now has been abandoned and taken over. And 2,000 years later, we walk through and we see it and we, we're like, man, something amazing used to be here. And that's how Christian theologians sometimes describe humanity. Something amazing is here. What happens when the Holy Spirit comes is he starts like hacking away the vines and the overgrowth and bringing in stones back in to make that city glorious again, to make it awe-inspiring. Because otherwise our gifts and our talents are necessarily utilized towards end that the scripture says aren't worthy. And as we sang earlier, the only end is for the glory of Christ. And yet those gifts are manifold. It includes um, art and administration and leadership, like we said, as well as preaching and teaching and knowledge and wisdom, as well as raising children and hospitality Jesus' kingdom is expansive. It includes a lot of things. What the Holy Spirit does in making them spiritual is orient them towards right ends. And that kind of takes us to point three, why we have the spiritual gifts. So we've talked about what the gifts are. Um, we've talked about who receives the gifts. And now we're going to talk about why we, why we receive these gifts. Um, one commentator described the why uh, sort of like this. And again, we'll stick with the building metaphor. So he said there's two, two guys that are building something, and we follow one around, and, and one's working on his own house. And the outside is, is relatively plain. You know, it's, it's normal. He doesn't want it to stand out on his block or anything. But as soon as you walk in, the inside is immaculate. Everything is to the highest quality, exactly where it should be. Um, the floors, you know, marble or whatever, just, everything is done. Everything is perfect. You're like, this house is exquisite. Now you follow the other person, and he's going kind of towards, you know, city square or whatever, 
And the building that he's working on is like incomplete. It's like half done. They've been working on it for like 10 years. And it's still like, what's going on here? And why do people keep showing up to work? And why are they working so slowly? And he's excitedly gathering his other uh, you know, employees to, to, to figure out how to work on this building. And he's telling them what they're going to do for that day and arrange beams and, and rocks for mosaics and by color and stuff and, and set up the building. He says, but the second person, the second man that's constructing this building in the town center is working on a cathedral. It's not his own house. It's a house for many people. A house where people gather together for unity. A house that's for a different end. The point of the spiritual gifts clearly in Romans uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is that it's for the common good. Look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And in verse 9, Paul says uh, something very interesting. He's dealing with this idea of faith, right? He's talking about the spiritual gifts, and he says, some are given the gift of faith. Now, if you remember from our catechism question earlier in this service, uh, we acknowledge that you have to have faith in order to believe in Jesus at all. So it's clear that what Paul is talking about is a different kind of faith. And what's different about this faith? And for Paul, in the context of 1 Corinthians 12, it's that this kind of faith brings people together. Now, I've got an example of this. Um, when Ronnie invited Margaret and I down, um, Ronnie was the pr previous pastor here, and we uh, needed to raise funds to come down here. Now, it was kind of a daunting task. I don't know if any of you guys have had to like, find investors um, or, or raise funds for something else. Uh, and there was uh, a, a man that we came across at, at our seminary that, that does fundraising for a living for the seminary at the development office. Um, and Ken kind of took us under his wing and coached us. Now, his faith in God, not in us, <laughs> his faith in God to provide for us encouraged us. Now, what's interesting is, is that, you know, Ken could lay out all the tactics or whatever else to go raising funds. But I think in the back of his mind, he also knew God may not bring the funds in. But that doesn't mean that he's not going to care for you. That he doesn't have a space for you. Now, he never said those words that directly, I don't think. Margaret might correct me. Um, but you knew it about his tone that his faith in God, not in us, not in our abilities, not in our grades, not in our ability to persuade people to support this mission, um, but in God's providence allowed us to go forward in faith. Now, I don't know if he would say that he has the spiritual gift of faith, but in that moment to us, Ken did. Because these spiritual gifts that we use are gifted to us by God in order to bring the church together and point us all towards Jesus. Now, prophecy and tongues are usually the gifts which we have the most questions about. And I can't answer all these questions. So I'm just going to ask this. I wonder what would happen if we reflected on whether the prizing of these particular gifts, prophecy and tongues, has more to do with the edification of fellow believers 
or lifting up of self. Something that is useful for edifying the whole body or something that is useful for giving me a little bit more authority. Make me feel a little bit stronger about my faith. A little bit more sure that this thing is real. We often want to be superhuman and not fully human. Maybe what's better for us is learning to pursue those sort of mundane, ordinary gifts that God has given us. Now, permit me to tie this together briefly with other points. If your spiritual gifts probably center around what you love and what you're talented at, and if God has definitely given you at least one gift and you're working on cultivating others, I hope you see that your master builder, uh, this um, divine director over this orchestra, has especially gifted you with a particular part to play. And I've touched on this already. That you can find ways to serve. And I want to be honest here. Um, we have our service cards. I, I set it down there. And I'm going to talk about them later. I'm going to ask you to serve. That may be the way that you get plugged in and you can use your spiritual gift. It may not be. I'm not saying that Trinity Church has like a um, position necessarily laid out for the spiritual gifts that you have. And yet, I know that you're called to be here among these people to serve these people with the gifts that God has given you. I'd love to explore that more with you, of what it might look like, of whether it's just you having people over to your home regularly because you love it. You don't need an official position for that. I would love to see you do that anyway. Love to help you make it happen. Whether you're really good at speaking words of encouragement and finding those people that have been downtrodden by life, by sin and pain and hurt. Whether you're good at parenting can help others of us that struggle and you just kind of see through the mess that other people's miss. And you're, you can be there and be the encouragement and, and uh, teacher a little way to clear the path and help us see what we're doing in relation to Jesus. Whatever your spiritual gifts are, if they don't actually bless those around you, in Paul's sense, he's saying they're not actually spiritual. Your spiritual gifts are intended for you to bless others. And here's where all the pieces start to come together. Uh, we've looked at what spiritual gifts are, and we've seen that they're a variety. Uh, we've looked at who receives them, and we've seen that every Christian is empowered to use their gifts rightly. We've seen why we were given the spiritual gifts, and it is to edify each other, build one another up, and point each other towards Jesus for the common good. And now we're going to see why this brings unity and diversity. You see, et pluribus unum is dependent upon some sort of shared social contract, shared understanding of reality. Ultimately, it depends on us, on you and on me. And if you're honest with your own actions and beliefs, we can say that we've all done injustice to the social contract in some way, shape, or form. We often seek our own ends and not the good of our neighbor. When we were pagans, Paul said in verse 3, we utilized some kind of spirituality for our own benefit. But with the Holy Spirit, something happens with our spirituality that isn't leveraged just for our own self-serving, but to proclaim the person who unites us all despite of our diversity. Jesus 
is Lord. The reason that Christianity succeeds in making unity out of diversity where other ideas might fail is because it isn't dependent upon our commitment to it. It's dependent upon what he has already accomplished, that he was the faithful one, that he was actually selfless, that he actually broke down dividing walls of hostility. Jesus unified a diverse group through his death and resurrection. And he brought them all underneath his rule, empowered them with gifts that allow us to see the little glimpses of that rule here and now. You see, we were given our gifts by our Lord and King in order to serve, in order to encourage, in order to build one another up in unity. And as we serve our Lord and King, this ultimate allegiance that we have upon our lives, we recognize that all of these gifts are oriented to saying, Christ is Lord to help those around you in this room and your neighbors, to encourage someone else's faith. And none of this is by our own power or our own commitment, but by Jesus' promises to us. I hope you can see it, why we can cling in our Christian churches, to unity and diversity. And it's because all of our gifts that we were given by Jesus all point us back to the reason that we're unified. And it's only him. He is the only thing that unifies us. We have no other reason to be unified in all of our diversity than for Jesus Christ alone. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you make us spiritual people. You make us people who are authentically spiritual, even in mundane things we do, because all of it points to Christ himself. Father, allow these here to see themselves as God's special instrument, cherished in your grand concerto, with a part to play and a purpose outside of ourselves. Father, I pray that you might encourage those who can't see their spiritual gifts. That you might humble those who think that their spiritual gifts make them better. That we might all stand before the table of our Lord Jesus Christ and be able to proclaim with all of ourselves and all of our gifts and talents and all of our love that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen.